Good morning. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Let us pray as we open our time of meditating upon God's Word. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we get to hear your eternal Word spoken in time and space in this very moment. In this time where uh, we come here with our baggage of the week, maybe of our, uh, our drive in or our uh, journey in uh, this morning. Father, you are the God who speaks life. And I pray that as your word is proclaimed, that life would, uh, would exude, that life would manifest uh, in our own lives as we uh, listen to you. And I pray that you give us hearts to receive your word this morning, hearts to hear and receive your word. Would you bless us in Jesus' name? Amen. So we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. And uh, as I was preparing this, I remembered a time about 13 years ago when I was a new Christian, and I was attending a church not too far from here. And some buddies of mine and I were, we would oftentimes just think, you know, what if the Apostle Paul walked into church this morning what would he say and uh, what would he what would he think about what he saw and heard and the obvious answer for you know kind of opening up the diary of young zealous christian men uh, he would just kind of you know with his big dirty beard kind of walk in and you know stinking and everything and just like turn everything upside down in anger and just like what are you guys doing what are you thinking what's wrong with you like where have you gone from my letters, <laughs> you know, just kind of this like very dra dramatic scene. And um, I'm very thankful that over the years I've departed from that view and, you know, from reading his letters, obviously, and then also from ministering and, and just being with people uh, and just kind of developing a heart for ministry. And the letter of First Thess Thessalonians brings that more tempered tone <laughs> very grateful for that because uh, i need it but uh we're going to open that we're, what we're going to do this morning is that we're going to read the first chapter it's only 10 verses and then we're going to unpack it verse by verse so i will uh, read it and then we'll unpack so chapter 1 verse 1 paul sylvanus and timothy to the church of the thessalonians in god the father and the lord jesus christ grace to you and peace we give thanks to you, uh, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, 
and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So a very beautiful, caring, pastoral tone to, to this opening uh, of the letter. And the theme of today is that we're going to look at how we foster a forthgoing faith. That's the, t- the title of my sermon today, a forthgoing faith. The Thessalonians had a forth, uh, forthgoing faith. And what that means, forthgoing, is uh, that in the midst of resistance, in the midst of trials, it keeps going forth. It's a dynamic faith. It's not a stagnant faith. And it also spills over uh, and it spreads out. It's a forthgoing faith. It's a faith that, that is uh, to be uh, imitated, emulated, if possible, by the grace of God. So we're going to look at that. Uh, verse 1, we see here Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. And uh, here uh, it's kind of, it's a typical opening. He starts with the name of the, uh, the writers of the letter. And I don't know if you've been in congregationalist settings. I often hear of Kind of like Pastor Paul, you know, people t- kind of talk about Paul as a, as a pastor of the church. In a sense, that's true, but it seems to be more accurate. To, well, he's, he's obviously an apostle. Uh, here is it, is it Paul, the pastor, and then his, his two interns, Sylvanus and Timothy. Uh, it's, um, I think the, 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 the traditional reading is that uh, Paul is the apostle, uh, the apostle, and then he's kind of bringing along uh, bishops. They're elders in the church, and they're going to look over. They have a, an elder kind of status and then a overseeing function. So in a sense, we have bishops kind of looking over the different churches. They, 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 he's writing from Corinth, most likely, writing to the Thessalonians, and then also Galatia and Ephesus, Philippi, all these areas. So uh, the, the Apostle Paul has a overseeing ministry along with Sylvanus and Timothy, and they are writing to the church or the assembly, the ecclesia of Thessalonica. And so what's happening here? Um, what's happening here is that we have a new embassy in town. There's a new embassy in Thessalonica. There was a time when things were just kind of going, you know, people were walking down the streets Sunday morning and just going to buy their bread or their apples. And then all of a sudden there's an embassy, uh, an embassy of heaven, uh, the Church of Thessalonians. And they're there, they're, they're, they're gathering, and they are a heavenly portal uh, as St. Augustine said, they are the city of God in the midst of the city of man. So something very strange has happened, and Paul is writing to them to encourage them. And, um, and who are these people? Are they kind of just functioning like at any other kind of gathering? They have a, a central value, and everyone kind of gathers around this value, uh, whether it's, you know, making uh, the city greener or it's making the city more prosperous, more just. Is that what's happening? It's written here to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very different assembly here. They are in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church exists in, by, and through the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is who, uh, this is who we are. This is what this is. It is the gathering of people who are in, by, 
through the triune God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the God who is above all creation, who stands outside of time and space, and yet who comes into time and space in the person of Jesus and spreads out by the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of ordinary, maybe extraordinary people like you and me, uh, depending who you are. And so here's my first point. Uh, that was kind of a, a sarcastic point about extraordinary. Anyway, uh, <laughs> maybe some of you think you're extraordinary. That's great. <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. Uh, the first point, the Christian life is the imitation of and participation in Jesus Christ by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. I'll say that again. The Christian life is the imitation of and the participation in Jesus Christ by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. This is very different than just, you know, Jesus and me. Similar, but it's, that's kind of lacking. Or just me and the Holy Spirit uh, or me and Almighty Father. Uh, this is a Trinitarian dance that's happening and God... The triune God wraps us into and invites us into that dance, that eternal dance of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, the Trinity is this. The Father administers salvation. He plans it from all eternity. He administers salvation. The Son accomplishes salvation. Uh, the Son does what the Father has planned from all eternity to rescue creation and, and participate in the glory of God. And the Holy Spirit applies salvation so that uh, people like us don't need to climb up to Jesus because uh, you know Jesus lived a perfect life but what about us no the Holy Spirit comes into us to bring the very life of Jesus into us so that we are wrapped up drawn up into Jesus so the Father administers salvation the Son accomplishes salvation and the Holy Spirit applies salvation so that we participate and imitate in God. That's how it works. And so grace to you and peace are proper to Christians because of the very presence and power of God. Grace meaning the favor of God. Peace meaning the, the wholeness of God, the healing power of God. All of these are characteristics of God's very presence among his people. And that is, that is what makes us us this morning isn't it? And I will continue with uh, verses 2 and 3. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly uh, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, one of my co-workers I work in the kitchen, just uh, so you guys know. Uh, a couple of my, well, one of my coworkers, uh, he, um, we had a conversation about addictions. He, had me, he asked me, what does the Bible say about addictions? And I told him, give me a week, I'll get back to you, I'll think about it, and I'll give back to you with a, you know, a thought-through answer. And, uh, and I did, and I gave him a fairly long answer. I, I should have made it shorter, but anyway, he, uh, after the answer, he was like, oh, okay, that sounds, that sounds reasonable. And then he said, um, one of the things that I don't like about Christians is that they only give thanks to God, and they don't really recognize that whole human aspect of 
you know, the work that I do to, to achieve what I have and to kind of walk into your destiny and all those things. I thought, well, that's very interesting because it's true that, isn't it true? Like that's what Christians often do. It's like only glory to God, which is, yeah, glory to God. But uh, what about one another? Like, what do we do when, you know, someone does something that's a part of the glory of God on earth? Like, is, isn't that praiseworthy? And so anyway, I said, you know, that's, that's very true. Uh, I'll give that to you. Christians often do that. Um, but um, then I kind of explained to him that actually the Christian faith asks us to, to, to congratulate one another, to praise one another. So, uh, Proverbs 27 verse 2 says to sing praises of the other. Not your own praises, but the praises of the other. Let others sing your praise. Um, and so, yeah, there's this kind of dynamic of there. we need to praise God for all things because he is the creator. And I I thought about it after. I should have just told my friend, you know, you know, you, you just your bottom line assumption is that God doesn't exist, and that's why you're kind of frustrated that God gets all the glory, but God does exist. Therefore, he, you know, everything exists because of God. You know, everything, every action, every every possibility is because God has provided that, and also love, uh, the love of God that allows us to have freedom uh, and, and and choice in this life. Anyway, that aside, here we have the very example. I wish I had read this, but I did tell him, hey, I'm preaching a text next week that actually answers your question. He said, I like that. I like how the Bible answers questions. I said, there you go. Awesome. I'll keep praying for you. <laughs> so here it is. Uh, he says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to, uh, to recognize, following this example, recognize with gratitude the work that, that, you, that you do here, that, uh, that, that people do here among, among one another. Uh, take time to, to be attentive and recognize what people do. Small things, bigger things, shiny things, not glamorous things, all things, because it is a work of God. It is a work of God. It is a work of, of obedience. Um, so let's follow that pattern. Uh, faith here, uh, there's that kind of the trinity of uh, faith, hope, and love and, uh, that we see in 1 Corinthians. Faith, uh, which uh, speaks of confidence in God. Uh, you know, we work, but we, are, are, we ultimately have confidence in God that God will bring about the fruitfulness of our work. Uh, hope, which is the anticipation of God's promises fulfilled and love the very essence of God in human action and so this is what they're praising the Thessalonians for here and now Paul qualifies what he means he fills in some of the details he specifies his praise on their account and uh, and at this point in the sermon I'm gonna list six qualities of a forthgoing faith there's six qualities I'm going to draw out here of a faith of a forthgoing faith, uh, starting in verse 4. He says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So the first point here, uh, the first point of application, a forthgoing faith rests secure in God's love. A forthgoing faith 
rest secure in God's love. We see this in verse 4. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in, in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. God has chosen them. And a forthgoing faith rests in that very fact that God has chosen us. Now, I know that's, that can be a bit of a, a debated area within, Christian, uh, within the Christian sphere. That's okay. Debates are, are good. Um, and uh, the, the way that I kind of summarize it is that God has chosen the people of Israel, and, and we see that in the Old Testament. And Jesus is the chosen one, uh, the, the very example of what an Israelite is, uh, a true Israelite. And we, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are the chosen, we, we belong to the chosen one. We are chosen in that sense. And, uh, and so we can have confidence that as we are in Jesus, and how we know we're in Jesus, well, they say in verse 5, because our gospel came to you. The apostolic message of the good news of Jesus, risen to reign eternally, has come to you. And it, uh, it comes to us. It comes to us through God's word as it is proclaimed faithfully. And so the, the, the idea here is that we need to rest secure in God's love. I used to doubt my salvation. I don't know if some of you are maybe in a space where you doubt your salvation uh, or your assurance of faith. Uh, that lasted for years, and I'm, uh, I'm so blessed that uh, actually through the liturgy, uh, I, I wasn't uh, in an Anglican setting, but the liturgy actually is something that helped me along the way. I would say after a year of just kind of working uh, the gospel message through me, because the liturgy is not just kind of pious words like Christians made up, but it's actually just the gospel that is formulated in such a way that we can gather together and worship in the same way, in a common voice. And uh, over a year or two, I, I realized, wait a minute, I don't struggle with assurance of faith like I did for the last five, six years. I don't even think about it anymore because I rely upon God's mercy and I deal with, you know, my sins every week uh, through, the, through the liturgy. You know, we confess our sins. There's the, the prayer of the declaration of absolution. It's dealt with, done, it's gone. It's an old Kleenex put in the garbage. I don't need to go look at it and see what's in there. It's gone, okay? And then I can walk forward. And, uh, and I rely upon the mercy of God. And that's, uh, so resting secure in God's love is one of the, the first features here of a forthgoing faith. You continually look to God and rely upon his mercy. Secondly, a forthgoing faith participates in Jesus and in his church. A forthgoing, a dynamic faith, a faith that goes forward and outside, is one that, that participates in Jesus and his church. Uh, verse 6 and 7, he says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And uh, here... Uh, the, 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 the big biblical picture of participation is in view. Uh, the story of life, of existence, is the story of participation. Uh, whether you're a Christian, Muslim, Jew, uh, atheist, agnostic, we all participate in things. We, we are participants in life. 
um, if we, we can participate in, in, in the hockey kind of world or in the cars world or in the beauty fashion world, there's all sorts of things in which we participate that demand our participation. And as we enter into that world, we realize, well, there's kind of like a ritual here. There's kind of like a, a format in which things are said and, and there are things that, can, that probably shouldn't be said or can't be said. Uh, and, uh, and you kind of walk through and then there's uh, sometimes there's like food that you kind of participate in and like, kind of incorporate in your body and like there's, there's like secular kind of liturgies and rituals and, and religious ones and then so life is participation and we see that in Genesis 2 and 3 is that there's that big choice are you going to participate in the story of God eating the fruit of covenantal obedience or are you going to eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is the tree of, of kingship? Are you going to participate in that and set yourself against God as a king, against another king? You know, it's that, that very story of, and, and dynamic of participation is right there. And we know the story that is that they set themselves up against God by eating the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil, um, which is a good tree, but it was meant for another time. So... So life is participation. That's the story of life. And as bodied creatures, we embody practices. And even uh, we, we even embody practices that people do. We even embody, embody like people in a sense. We imitate them. Uh, people that we look up to or people that we, we just kind of look to as examples in our lives. And for Christians, we need to look, we need to look for godly people to imitate as they imitate Jesus. This is what they did here. The Thessalonians, and you became, verse 6, imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. So they were imitators of the apostles, and the apostles were imitators of Jesus. And so in a sense, it's kind of like you have Jesus who's holding his hand out, and the apostles are kind of holding the hand of, of Jesus, and then they're holding uh, the hands of the Thessalonians, and the next generation, and the next generation. And there's this like link to heaven between the imitators of Christ and the participants in his life. Uh, and that's a very different story of, of Christianity than maybe some of you have heard before, of just kind of mentally lifting your thoughts towards Jesus, and then you have a ticket to heaven. Uh, we're linked in some way in the church and, and to Jesus. And so we, let's, let's look for people in the church. And then afterwards, he says you became ex an example. And you became an example for other Christians in uh, verse 7. They became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So we want to be imitators, but imitators also need to extend the other hand as we're holding one hand to those that we're imitating we extend another hand to other people and how that works is that in the church uh, we see that in the letter to Ty uh, the letter of uh, Titus where um, they say you know younger women find older women in the church young men find older men in the church to, to you know to imitate in a sense to be discipled by uh, it's something that, uh, that, that 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 we need to be eager about uh, that needs to um, it's kind of like internal motivation, something that we want to find. Uh, and here's how you do it. This, that's how I did it, and it worked very well, I find, in my life, is that uh, there were different seasons, different times in my life where I realized I need to grow in just basic, basic Christian, kind of like, what, what, what is the Bible? What, is, what, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? So I looked at, at, at the church, and I found one person that I thought, not that there was only one, but I found one person I thought, I should go ask him if we can have coffee together. And we started meeting every week. 
And he just kind of like shared. I asked him questions. He kind of answered, and we went through just Christian stuff. And then later on in life, uh, I had uh, a time where I lacked knowledge of the Old Testament. And I saw someone that I thought had a solid grasp of the Bible. So I, I, I talked to him, and we started meeting week after week, or maybe every other week. And he started just helping me. How, how does he read the Bible? Then I started imitating. Okay, this is how I'm going to read the Bible. And uh, whatever lack you, that you may have in your life, pray about it. And ask the Lord to maybe reveal to you someone that you can uh, meet with and imitate, uh, whether you enter a new season of life. So we are participants, and a forthgoing faith participates in Jesus and his church. And one more point here. Um, so this is for Christians, but also as we are out in the world, maybe scattered uh, in uh, just in our workplace, uh, just in the, the world, whether you're doing activities, hockey or whatever, uh, we are also examples to those who are outside uh, the, of, of the church. And we need to show them what to imitate because people are just going to imitate something. They're going to imitate what they like, what they find beautiful, what they find attractive, desirous. People imitate. And I found that to be very much the case that when you live a godly life in the workplace, in the world, people will notice that you're very different. You speak differently. You act differently. You speak in the absence of others differently. You are generous in a different way, maybe. Um, all those things, you have a different outlook about questions of life. And people will ask questions, maybe, and they'll, they'll realize, okay, there's something different. And as they, as they realize that, and they, maybe you, as you pray and the Holy Spirit stirs in their hearts, they'll find that beautiful and desirous. They'll want it for themselves. And they might even start participating in that thing that you have going on, that, that embodiment of the kingdom of God. And I mean, that's how, that's how it worked in the early church. And that's how it's, I, I find that it's been working uh, where we live in Rigo. So I commend that to you. Uh, third point, a forthgoing faith faces affliction with joy. A forthgoing faith faces affliction with joy. You see that in verse 6 again. For you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, affliction is God's way, maybe unfortunately, uh, of pruning, pruning us, weaning us off of the world. It's God's plan. Uh, affliction is not fun. It's not easy. Uh, but it's a, it's a good thing. And, and I want to speak to those of you who have been Christians for a long time. Um, because you might find it very difficult to see young Christians kind of facing affliction and, and just kind of like having the joy of the Lord, you know, just so excited uh, that, uh, you know, they have a chance, an opportunity to stand up for Jesus and, and, to, and to lose, you know, people in their lives that they love. And you're there, you're going, wow, like, how are they doing that? This is, that's actually really hard when you face it. I want to encourage you, just you know, keep, keep going ahead. Uh, these things happen. Uh, God wants to, he wants to secure the foundation of your faith in a way that maybe has never been uh, done before. He wants to make the very foundation of your faith unshakable. And uh, you might think that that's been dealt with 20 years ago. Um, have you ever seen a construction project go wrong? <laughs> maybe not go wrong in human terms. Uh, in, in the city, 
they're just there for a month. They're digging, 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 and they're just going as planned. And then, oh, all of a sudden, they found uh, pipes. And it's like, okay, the project has changed. And then they have to dig another 20 feet. And then, oh, there's rock. Okay, you have to have a big rock, and then there's like mud on the sides and like clay and all that. They have to dig and dig and dig. And it just feels like life is like that sometimes as, as you continue as a Christian. You realize, like, I thought we went deep enough, Lord, <laughs> the last like 20 years. What is this? And uh, I want to encourage you. <laughs> this is going to be my, my sixth point. I'm ahead of myself. There's a resurrection to come. There's a resurrection life. There's beauty and hope and glory. Our comfort is not in this world, but it's in the world to come. And so affliction is, is dealing with that part of us, the very challenging part of us uh, that demands for us to die to ourselves daily, to die to ourselves daily and to rise with Jesus as we trust in him and as we look to him. So God is doing a deeper work than ever before, and he is the one who is in charge. He's the, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Number four, a forthgoing faith relies on the Holy Spirit. So we see this in verse five, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And this uh, this part of the sentence but it, 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 where he says, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction, he, they're talking about their own witness. The apostles are talking about their own witness that they carried out the ministry of the word, not only in bare word, but also with power, the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and with full conviction. And this comes with prayer. This comes with prayer. And uh, what does this look like? We see this in chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also, how holy, righteous, and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Now, these are the same words for, uh, for a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy, blameless, and righteous uh, for, um, for a living sacrifice. They were living as living sacrifices in their midst. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. They believed what they were preaching. How do we know? They lived it and they proclaimed it with passion, with excitement, with emotion, with importance and significance. This is important for you people. You need to know your life is, is centered and 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 it's it's just resting on a dead idol <laughs> you need to know this it's not making you happy you think you're happy you you talk like you're happy but we all know you're not uh this this is what's happening here they're they're, they're bringing the message with conviction with passion and they're rousing the other ones to jealousy because they have what others don't have they have eternal life they have that joy of 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 living in the triune god and so that's what motivates our, our, our godly living, holy, righteous, and blameless uh, before them, is, is being in God, but also desiring to draw the others into something that's far greater, far more difficult, far more adventurous than just the mundane life. And how do we do that? We pray, 
and we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Almost a year ago, some of my close friends where, uh, where we live, we, we had met them not long before, uh, they came to know Jesus, and uh, it was quite a, a storm of, of spiritual experiences where uh, I, we just had a, a dinner where I shared the gospel with them for about an, an hour. It was just God opened that door, uh, but man, did we surround that with prayer. And then they left. They went back home, of course, and, and we just prayed. We praised God, and then we prayed, and we prayed, and we're like, I don't know when we're going to see them next. I don't even know if they liked our, they seemed like they liked our conversation, but wow, we know that the devil's going to try to catch them now. Uh, and more than ever before, he's going to try to snatch that seed of faith that we implanted in their hearts. And so we prayed and we prayed night and day. And then we would, I would get a text message. He would send me a Christian song. And then he would send me a, a Christian uh, kind of Bible verse or like a, another video of a sermon, a clip and all that. And it just, like for the whole week, he was just sending me that. And, uh, and then, he, then he started sharing how God would answer prayers and how God would bring healing of, uh, I forget the, the disease, it's a lung disease that, that isn't, uh, isn't curable, uh, but um, just praying for that and it was healed. And just these manifestations of God's power in, in, his, midst and, in his midst. And what did we do? Well, we were at home. We weren't there. We weren't kind of operating and just kind of like, you know, potions and like all that stuff, like incantations. No, we were just praying. The power of God was manifesting. Uh, and we weren't even in, like, we weren't even three feet from them. We were like in our homes. They were in their homes. And God was at work with power. And that's, you know, when we, uh, as our culture is becoming more and more uh, spiritual, away from secular, and becoming more and more spiritual and spiritually diverse, uh, there's a lot more manifestations of like dark powers and spirits and, and all these things that the power of the Holy Spirit is, gonna, is going to pour out in a way that we might not have seen before. And we need to rely upon that even more. We bring the word and we pray for the Holy Spirit to do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Fifth, a fourth going faith turns from dead idols to, true, to the true and living God. A forthgoing faith turns from dead idols to the true and living God. Now you might say, oh, that's obvious. That's, I did that years ago when I became a Christian. I don't have idols anymore. I believe in Jesus. Well, not so fast. Not so fast. If you read First uh, John, the very last verse of First John is, uh, children, keep yourselves from idols. And that letter was written to Christians. Keep yourselves from idols. What is an idol? It's, it's something, uh, an idea, uh, a system, a, a pattern, a, um, a ritual of sorts in which we participate, that in which we find our happiness, in which we find our security, our sense of worth, our fame, maybe. Uh, th those are idols, and we're not looking uh, here in the West, we're not looking for statues. We're looking for, for ideas. We're, we're, in, uh, we're in that realm here looking for ideas, but now even more so we're looking for, for, for things in which we participate. And uh, a classic example is money. Money is an easy idol. Uh, we can feel uh, very comfortable uh, if, uh, if you feel like you, you've got the job, you have the house, and you're kind of like just slowly climbing. Everything's kind of going according to plan now, now that that's happening nowadays for, for a lot of people. But uh, it's uh, that idea of like, no, oh, I have it. I think, I think I'm okay. Once we start saying that, I think I'm okay. Um, 
we can praise God and thank God, and then we need to take heed uh, because that can be can become the new foundation of our lives. You know, um, there's a great story of J.C. Ryle. I'm going to be very brief, hopefully, on this. Uh, J.C. Ryle was a, an Anglican bishop, and his dad owned a bank in England in the 1800s, and and his bank like was was done overnight. It, it, they lost all the money, and it was done. And his life just crumbled. He had a full scholarship, I think, at uh, Oxford. Anyway, his life changed. He became a Christian uh, because he realized that money is not a solid, solid foundation. Fame, academia are not solid foundations for your life. Reputation, uh, finding worth in your in your perfectionism, in your um, yeah, in in in, in your uh, accreditations, it's not good enough. Those things pass away. They're like the grass that fade. Beauty fades. All these things, they, they fade. Uh, we need to leave beside dead idols and join ourselves to the true and living God, the life-giving God. And uh, if you read the prophets, what, the way they talk about idols is that they don't, like they have eyes, but they can't see. They have noses, they can't smell. They have ears. Uh, but they, they can't hear, and they're referring to, to the sculptures, the, the sculpted wood. And you take half the wood, you make the idol. The other half, you make a, a, a fire to cook your, to, to your soup and bake your bread with. Uh, those are idols. They're, they're, they're just nothing. And people who worship them become like them. And what does that mean? Is that we, as we, if we participate in idols, even just a little bit, we start becoming deaf to God, start becoming blind to God, start becoming... Uh, mute and unable to to taste and see the goodness of God, uh, we start becoming less and less human in a sense. And so that we want to turn from idols towards the true and living God. We need to constantly reevaluate, hear ourselves. What am I saying about these things in my life? What am I saying about money in my life or my house? Or what am I saying about my my apartment, the city in which I live? What am I saying about the university I attend or the job that I have or the position that I just uh, acquired in my, in my job? We need to, to listen to what we say, what our heart says in secret and bring it to the Lord. We need to take regular risks for the Lord by cutting those things off. If you find that you're taking comfort in your money, praise God for it and practice secret generosity. Give it to, give to someone or to something or just don't allow yourself to go down there because it's a, it's a dead road. It's a dead road that leads to death. We need to cut our, off our desire for earthly comfort. Sixth and lastly, a forthgoing faith hopes in the returning King Jesus. A forthgoing faith hopes in the returning King Jesus. Verse 10. He says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God, living and true God, and, verse 10, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This means that Christians should not be timid or grim about the future. There's a lot of ap apocalyptic, I'll say apocalyptic, Armageddon-type visions of the world that, that are happening here uh, in our city, uh, on the media, 
you know, the world is going to end in, in, in 12 days if we don't save the planet, for example. Not that caring for the planet is wrong. It's good. We have to. It's God's world. And the, how we treat the world is how we treat God's temple. I mean, that's Genesis 1. It's God's temple. Um, so we want to do that. But uh, we got to be careful what kind of, where that leads, right? We, are we going to, we can participate in that, but maybe not in that whole apocalyptic vision or Armageddon-type vision. Um, that's one vision, you know, oh yeah, you know, the world is going to, you know, is going to die from, you know, all these, uh, these wars. And of course, there's wars everywhere. And you know what? There are wars that we don't even hear about. There's wars and wars, rumors of wars, wars that are starting up, wars that end, and their war is ugly. We need to pray against wars. Um, but Jesus is going to return. Jesus has the final word. Uh, there's going to be all sorts of, of, of luring visions of the end that are going to draw us away from this very idea that Jesus is going to return. Why? Because that's what the devil wants. He doesn't want people to think that Jesus is going to return. Like, duh. He wants people to think and be caught up in all sorts of different patterns and rituals and ideas and visions of the world uh, that, uh, that are terrible, terrifying, fearful, that, uh, that, that force us into obedience and, and compliance, or that maybe draw us into this fantastical vision of, of optimism for the end. Jesus is returning. Jesus cuts through all of this, and he's returning. And we need to hold on to this very fact that he's the one who is raised from the dead. God raised him from the dead because everything that Jesus said, God vindicated all his life, all of his miracles. Like God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. And he will return in glory, bring a full resurrection of the living and the dead, and to judge those who have done wrong according to his word to bring an eternal reign of justice and peace. Isn't that, I mean, every vision that we will encounter has bits and, 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 and pieces, the, the miet, it has little, little glimpses of that similar vision, that, uh, you know, vision of justice or peace. But only in Jesus is there going to be true peace and true justice because Jesus sees in every single person's heart. He knows all of what we've done. And our hope is not that we've been perfect. Dear Christians, I hope that's not your, your vision, is that Jesus is perfect and that in Jesus, his perfection comes upon us so that we are clothed in the beauty and magnificence and the splendor and the holiness of Jesus before the Father. Uh, we wear uh, the, the, the robe of the of the wedding party. That's our hope. That's our hope before God. And it's Jesus who gives it to us. Undeserved grace. I hope that's your hope today. I'm going to summarize uh, the six points here as I close. A forthgoing faith, rest secure. I don't have six fingers here. <laughs> uh, rest secure in God's covenantal love. A forthgoing faith participates in Jesus and his church. A forthgoing faith faces affliction with joy. A forthgoing faith relies on the Holy Spirit. A forthgoing faith turns from dead idols to serve the true and living God. And a forthgoing faith hopes in the returning King Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we meditate upon these words, there's a lot here, but I pray that your word would be remembered, uh, that your word would be implanted into our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would do the work that only you can do, 
to make fruitful what was heard this morning uh, to your glory and fame and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.